0: in. And there are the Martins. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are a, a God who knows everything, God who is in control of everything, God who is not dependent on anybody for anything, and you have revealed yourself to us, that you have made yourself accessible to us. We can come to you in prayer. We can uh, learn about you through your word. God, that is an amazing truth. I pray that you would help us to remember it, that we would embrace that, and take advantage of the access that we have to you through your word through the holy spirit through your church through your people god pray that you would speak to us today that you would help us to better understand your word and your truth and that we'd be able to take it and apply it to our lives god we pray for uh the the rest of sunday school and uh this service just this week god we want to commit it to you and pray that you'd be honored and glorified and lifted up not just in this place but in our hearts that you'd be uh exalted as King of kings and Lord of lords. Pray this in your name. Amen. All right. So, let's start off with the review. We've been in Mark chapter 3. This week we're going to be starting off in Mark chapter 4. But, look at that, i got a two-for-one special on Phoenix. Uh, Before we do that, what are some of the responses that we saw to Jesus' ministry in Mark chapter 3? kind of glance your eyes back up over the verses in that chapter and think back to what we've studied in the last couple Pharisees weeks.
1: Were accusing him of doing his works by the power of the devil.
0: Yes. Yeah, it's not a good response, right? Not one that we should imitate. No. What other responses did we see in chapter three? was definitely the, the most recent. The scribes and the Pharisees. I think it was Matthew who added the, the Pharisees were there and that was their response. What about before that? What about his family? How did his family respond to him? We looked at that last week.
1: They're trying to take
0: away. Yeah, they wanted to get him out of there, right? They thought it was crazy. Well, let's go through, um, starting in verse six, we see one of the responses that the Pharisees, along with the Herodians, they wanted to destroy Jesus. They saw that he had performed this work of healing this man's hand on the Sabbath, and they didn't like that too much. And so they wanted to destroy him. They were seeking, again, along with the Herodians, to kill him. In verses, did somebody have a question? Am I hearing stuff? Is that Joseph? I am here and stuff. My bad. All right, verses 7 through 10, we saw that he had many followers from all over uh, Israel. It mentioned from from Galilee and Judea and Idumea, all these people, they were following after Jesus, but they weren't committed to Jesus, uh, as we see with with others throughout the passage. Verse 11, we see that the demons recognize Jesus as the Son of God, but they're prevented from uh, telling people that, He is the son of God. Verse 12 says, Jesus warned them earnestly. Don't tell anybody that he is the son of God. 13 through 19, that's where Jesus goes in and he appoints the 12 disciples. And these disciples, we contrasted with the other followers. These are disciples who are seemingly more committed to Jesus. They go out and they're preaching on behalf of Jesus or casting out demons on behalf of Jesus. Even uh, Judas Iscariot, I don't know if you realize, but he was part of that group who was going out and preaching. Uh, Logan, will you reach over and mute the the laptop on the soundboard? I was going to try to do something on there, but I don't know if that's going to help. I'm doing weird stuff on the soundboard again today. I'm about to pop here in a second. This is weird. I don't know. I'm trying to think through what might be causing that, and I have no idea. But we'll figure that out some other time. All right, so, um, yeah. Yeah. 13 through 19, that's where we see the, the choosing of the 12 disciples and the, the sending out of the, or not sending out, but commissioning in a sense that Jesus had endowed them with his authority. And then verses 20 and 21, that's where we see the first part of the the family of Jesus, his mother and brothers coming to him and saying that he's he's crazy, he's lost it, he's not even taking time for himself to, to go off and eat lunch, he's sacrificing himself too much for these people and uh, we see that Mark takes a, a break there and kind of sandwiches in that response from the scribes and Pharisees that Andrew was talking about where they ascribe to him this uh, demonic satanic power and then at the end of the chapter we come back to the family arriving there and saying hey Jesus we're, we're here to take you home come home with us Jesus and he says well actually this is my mother and, and my brother is my sister uh, pointing to his disciples, to his followers, to those who are there listening and submitting to his teaching. Uh, another thing we looked at last week was the, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. What do we know about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Yes. Yeah. Very little. That's a good answer. All right. From the text, uh, we are in... Uh, 28 and 29 primarily. We can look and we do know some things about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That is a, a good summary, very little. Uh, we know that it's distinguished from other sins and other blasphemies. So Jesus had said, uh, Any other sin, let me read it. It says, Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven, the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. And then he contrasts, he says, But whoever blasphemes, blasphemes Against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal sin. So this is distinct somehow from other sin and other blasphemies that aren't directed against the Holy Spirit. And we know that um, again as it's mentioned there in verse 29 that it is unforgivable. I'm going over to Mark 12:32 it says that uh, this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven in this age or in the age to come. so it's an eternal sin that is unforgivable uh, and then we connected that with what andy was referencing the um, the passage before the unbelief that we see about jesus that jesus was there and people denied him they didn't believe in jesus not only did they not believe in jesus but they didn't believe in jesus um, they denied him amidst these clear miraculous works that he was doing the clear power of jesus was being displayed and they still denied Christ. And again, not only did they deny Christ in the midst of his clear demonstration of power and authority, but they attributed that power and authority to Satan, to demonic powers. And then, well, any other thoughts or questions on blasphemy of the Holy Spirit before we move on to your homework? <laughs> Brittany's covering her face.
2: Do you ever see the relationship to Pharisees saying that Jesus is being done with the devil and the teaching we have around here that
0: says that Jesus and Satan are not brothers? Uh, yeah, and that I would say even more than the fact that Jesus and Satan are brothers in that worldview. Um the fact that Jesus isn't the, the one true God of the Bible. He's not Yahweh. Um, and yeah, we, eventually we will get to 2 Corinthians 11, uh, which talks about different Jesuses, different Christs, and how uh, they were worshiping different Christs. Um, here let's look there real quick. 2 Corinthians 11. Wow, oh, that audio is bad. He says, starting in verse 3. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. For I consider myself not really superior. So, he's talking about different Jesus, different Christ, um, and first Corinthians, I believe, that talks about uh, actually sacrificing to demons and uh, attributing praise and worship to demons. And so, yeah, I think there, there could definitely be a connection there, but we didn't get into that last week. All right. Your homework for last week was to read the passage for this week, Mark 4, 1 through 20, and to be ready to let the text Challenge any presuppositions that you might have to consider how many soils or how many uh, landing places I guess there there might have been. Did anybody happen to do that? Anybody willing to to share their conclusions from their homework? All right, we shall go through it together then and see if we can come to any conclusions. Um, I had my own presuppositions about this passage that were challenged within the last decade or so. Um, After checking my presuppositions against the the text of Scripture, I changed my understanding of the text. So uh, we always want to let the text speak and draw our understanding from the text rather than uh, other presuppositions that might be from different places in Scripture, but not from the text necessarily. So let's go ahead and jump in, and we'll start by reading verses 1 through 9. So Mark 4, 1 through 9. Did you just change something? Does that seemed to work? It was the middle mic. Ah, yeah. yes. Yep, that middle mic will give us problems. So good job. All right, Mark 4, 1 through 9. He began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and was saying to them in his teachings, Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow, and he was sowing some seed, fell as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seed fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a folds. And he was saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So we see, uh, once again, starting off in verse 1, that Jesus is out teaching, preaching by the sea. We've talked about several occasions where Jesus has done this in the past, and in fact, this might be uh, the, the occasion when Jesus was teaching in chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, uh, when all these people came to Jesus, it says, starting in verse 7 of chapter 3, that Jesus withdrew to the sea with his disciples, and this great multitude from Galilee, Judea, Idumea, and Tyre, and Sidon, and all these people were gathering around him, and then it seems like Mark kind of goes off to a different, different trail that he's talking about, so this... uh, this text in chapter 4 might be referring back to that period chapter 3 verses 7 through 9 where Jesus was teaching by the sea but we should remember that Mark's gospel isn't necessarily um, sequential it's not chronological but he is painting a picture he's telling a story and so he's going to introduce different aspects of the, the life of Christ at different times and the ministry of Christ and we'll see that even in this chapter that as we go on, we're going to see other parables that are related to uh, the kingdom and sowing and reaping and, and, and whatnot that seem to have taken place at different points in Jesus' ministry. But Mark kind of compiles them all and he puts them here in chapter 4 because he wants to uh, paint this picture and tell this story about the kingdom of God and how um, he uses these parables to relate to and explain the kingdom of God. And I wanted to, to show you this cool video but I couldn't figure out how to get it to work through the sound system so we're not going to be doing that but it goes through and just talks about the uh, the uniqueness of the Sea of Galilee and how it has these amazing acoustics to project and some guy gets on uh, he goes out into the sea I don't remember if it was on a rock or a boat or what but uh, he's standing out there and another guy goes up Several hundred yards away, and he's able to hear him just fine. He's just talking at a, a normal, uh, I almost said temperature, uh, uh, volume, I guess, and he can hear him just fine. So it's kind of interesting how the, the Sea of Galilee offered that natural amphitheater type of environment for Jesus to go out to do his preaching. And so that's likely why he went out there so often. We see over and over again that he went out to the sea to teach. And, uh, he got on this boat and he drifted off so he could teach, and he had space from the people. So I thought that was pretty cool, and I'm kind of sad I can't show that to you. But um, we do see going on in verse two that as he went out into the sea to to teach, and he had this great crowd uh, gathered around him, that he was teaching them many things by parables, and he was saying to them in his teaching, "Listen to this." And so uh, we want to consider what it is that he was teaching and what a parable is. Uh, parables are most often expressed as abstract spiritual. They express abstract spiritual concepts through concrete word pictures. So Jesus would take uh, some kind of ethereal spiritual concept that's kind of hard to even think or, or or grasp or understand. And he would use a parable to, to paint a picture to tell um, in more clear tangible words not tangible i guess but uh, a picture that kind of paints uh, or words that kind of paint a picture so they could understand this more far off uh, metaphysical ethereal concept Uh, the actual word parable means to to throw alongside so para means alongside or or next to and bōle is to to throw and so jesus would take you know these these difficult things like the kingdom of God and he said well let me explain it to you like this in this clearer way let me throw this uh, difficult concept alongside of this this word picture so that I can hopefully better explain this to you and open up your eyes and we'll look at that later how it had a a kind of dual purpose the the parables that Jesus would tell Uh, we see that Jesus um, kind of uh, this becomes the, the preferred method of Jesus' teaching, the primary way in which he teaches. It says later on in the passage that everything that he taught, he taught by a parable. And um, he goes on, he says in verse 3, <clears throat> listen to this. And so he wants them to, to pay attention. He's getting them ready to receive this parable that he's about to give to them. And Jesus uses this word listen ten times just in this one chapter. So he really wants them to listen really wants them to pay attention. Uh, verse 9 that we just read says that he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus wants them to, to hear, to pay attention, to understand. So, why don't we do that um, and hear and listen and pay attention. We just read through 1 through 9, but can I get somebody to read 3 through 9 one more time? Because Jesus told us to, to listen. He told the disciples to listen. I think you and I ought to that advice along Listen. who's got mark 4 3 through 9 for us
3: okay. listen to this behold the sower went out to sow and it came about that as he was sowing some seed fell beside the road and the birds came and ate it up and other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil and after the sun had risen it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it out, and it yielded no crop. And other seed fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. And he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him
0: hear. So having listened to that a couple of times now, and hopefully read through it with your own eyes, what are some things that remain the same in each of those scenarios that uh, Jesus presents in this parable? What are some things that are consistent throughout each of those scenarios? Seed fell. Yeah, good. The seed fell. What else? Yes, good. There was a, a result, right? Yeah. What were some differences that we saw in those different scenarios?
2: Well, only one type didn't grow at all, and then the chance just
0: did some growth,
2: mm-hmm. grow, depending
0: on which. One. Yeah. Good. So the result varied each time, right? The the, the soils are where are the difference slide, right? The, The seed, I think we should understand as being the same. The sower, we should understand as being the same. The soils are what seems to change from scenario to scenario. And in just looking at these verses, three through six, how many sowers are mentioned? Just one sower is mentioned, right? The sower went out to sow. He uses the the definite article, the sower, not a sower. Uh, But we will wait and... Uh, look at that a little bit more in the explanation see how that that might change and what is it that he is sowing in these verses? Seeds, good alright, he is sowing seeds and how many seeds or or landing places do you see in these verses? Four Four Are you sure? (laughs) (laughs) Sam glances down again I'm seeing
4: four
0: what what if I told you I see six? How would I see six? You have a good imagination? <laughs> <laughs> could I have a good Jesus. imagination. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that last category I think we could split up into three different groups. The there are three what I would call bad soils and then three good soils in verse eight says that uh, other seeds went out into the good soil and they grew up and increased and they yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. So three different soils within that good soil, but yes, it is compressed into one soil. So overall, um, there are four categories of soils, but within that last one, there are three different, uh, I don't know the right word, three different soils I think would, would work. Um, And then just looking at that as a story, like isolated in in that context without explanation, there's really no way that the disciples would have of knowing what it was that that Jesus was saying. Unless Jesus took and sat them down and said, let me tell you what this means. Otherwise, it would just be a, a story. It would just be. Um, It wouldn't have any spiritual significance that we would be able to to draw out. We'd be left to guess at what it is that Jesus was trying to convey. But thankfully, we do get an explanation. Uh, So let's jump down to verse 13. And verse 13 says that he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all of the parables? So, this is an important verse. Jesus is pointing out and saying that understanding this parable is the key to getting the rest of the parables. And once again, he tells us over and over again, uh, listen, 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 all throughout this. So let's listen up as we read through uh, this parable and see if we can start to connect some dots and make sense of what it was that Jesus was teaching in the parable as He is now explaining the parable. So he says in verse 14 that the sower sows the word. What was it that the sower was sowing before? He was sowing seed. So that tells us that the seed is speaking about the word, right? The sower is sowing the word. And who is it that has been commissioned with this responsibility to sow the word? We, we have, right? As Christians, we have the responsibility to, to go out. We have the mandate to, to go out and to sow the word. And so uh, I think that the, the sower, rather even though it's mentioned in the singular, it's called the sower, it should be understood as, as all believers, right? Anybody who is uh, in Christ should be understood as the sower, who has been commissioned with this responsibility to go out to sow the word verse 15 says that these are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which, was, which has been sown in them. So just to kind of explain a little bit, the, the road that he's talking about, or maybe your translation says pathway. Uh, it kind of went between different vineyards or different gardens that people would have. It, it acted as kind of a fence or a wall to separate people's different land, and people would travel on it. They would walk on this road. So it was three feet or so in in width. It was pretty akin to a sidewalk that people would use to travel throughout the town. Just a hard dirt sidewalk that's been trampled down. Uh, It's really unlikely that anything's going to be able to take root and uh, grow when it's thrown on that kind of uh, an environment. And it says here in verse 15 that once it's thrown there sown there. Uh, when they hear the word, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. Uh, what was it that was representing Satan in the, the first parable that Jesus gave? In the parable that Jesus gave that he's now explaining? Bird. What is What's that? Bird. Bird. <laughs> yeah. So the, the birds uh, are representative of Satan. Satan coming in uh, taking up that word that was sown in these people. Uh, we read over in Luke 8:12. it says that the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. So this has a, a damning effect that they're not able to believe they're not able to be saved because this word is taken taken from their heart. We can see that, uh, I think we see it most clearly in in Luke 8. But we see that also here in this passage in verse 15. That he has taken away the word which has been sown in them. So this has uh, deep spiritual effects. That Satan is affecting what is taking place inside the heart of these individuals. We have to remember, we have to always remember that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But against the, the authorities of this world. We are in a spiritual warfare. And Satan is ready to battle. Uh, continuing on verse 16 says in a similar way these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places who when they hear the word immediately receive it with joy and they have no firm root in themselves but they are only temporary and when affliction and persecution arises because of the word immediately they fall away so this rocky soil um, that they would have over in Israel it wouldn't be so much like the rocky soil that we have in Payson or Santa that has a bunch of rocks mixed in with the dirt, uh, but it had, like, a, a limestone underneath, uh, a big slab of, of rock that was underneath so that it wouldn't be able to take deep root and uh, really be, be planted firmly. And in verse 17, it talks about how this... Um, this is prevented from growing because of the affliction and persecution that arises because of the word. Back in verse four, it's um, drawing out and comparing with the, well, that's the birds. Verse five, the rocky soil where it did not have much soil immediately sprang up and had no depths of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched. So we see here that the sun is speaking of persecution and affliction. Jesus is going through and he's explaining and describing all these things to his disciples who are asking how do we know what this means and he is point by point saying well this is what this represents this is what this represents and that's how they know again if Jesus hadn't sat them down and explained to them then they would just be kind of left guessing or, or making stuff up on their own but he is walking them through and explaining uh, what each thing represents and then verse 18 he's going to talk about the the third Soil. What is the third soil that he mentioned? Weedy soil. The weedy soil or the thorny soil, right? And he says that um, others, in verse 18, others are the ones on whom the seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have, the, who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it becomes unfruitful. And so here we see that the thorns are compared with the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things. That those are thorny things that uh, choke out this seed and it becomes unfruitful. And then verse 20 um, talks about the the good soil. It says, those, those are the ones on whom the seed was sown, on the good soil, and they hear the word, they accept the word, and they bear fruit, some 30, 60, and 100 fold. So they do those three things, they hear it, they accept it, and they bear fruit. So the good soil, I think we have to conclude is speaking of these believers who do those three things, they hear, accept, and bear fruit. All right, well, let's jump in and look more specifically at each one of these different soils. looking at the the first soil, the seed that fell on the road or the pathway. Again, Luke 8:12 says, the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and they will not be saved. Um, I think that is pretty incontrovertible that these people who, they did hear the word, but it didn't take root at all. And this, the bird or Satan comes in and takes it away so they do not believe, and they are not saved. Yes. Yeah,
4: could you give like, or maybe I'm getting ahead of you here. So just tell me to stop talking if that's <laughs> the case. But could you give an example of like, um, like, like a, for instance, like a biblical example of of this taking place? It would it be like a hardening of the hearts, or would this be something else entirely? It's possible Um.
0: I'm not sure if I could like have Well, certainly it, the Pharisees
2: would demonstrate that kind of attitude, or there's no positive yes. response whatsoever. The other soils at least had a certain amount of response, but theirs was totally against Jesus from the beginning, in spite of miracles all the way. Mm-hmm. There was no, no evidence of any positive response whatsoever.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they, they responded positively to things of God, right, of their own religion, and they were, in, in some sense, seeking to make themselves right with God. But, yeah, as far as receiving the, the Lord of glory, Jesus, the Messiah, who was there in the flesh, they, they weren't having any part of that. So, right from the beginning, they were uh, dismissive of Christ. So... Would you say
4: that, that the hardening of the heart kind of falls under this category, but it's not the only thing that kind of fits under this little
0: threshold there? Um, yeah, and I would even say that that might fall under some of the other categories as well. It's kind of hard to differentiate, but uh, for sure that would be included in this category. Yeah. All right. Um, so that's the, the first soil that is absolutely not in Christ, right? These are people who flat out reject. They, they have heard the word, but they're, they're not going to believe. They're not going to be saved because that seed doesn't take root at all. Uh, I, we can see this in our own evangelism, right? When we just go out and, and preach to people, and they don't even want to give us the time of day. They won't even... Listen to our message, you know, and slam the door in our face, or, or walk by as we're preaching. Uh, they won't even listen at all.
1: Yeah. Right. Or like on the streets, you know, you ask them if they can talk for like a minute, and you know, they're like, "Oh, about what?" And then you just mention like gospel or God, and they're like, "Oh, no, no place. Yeah. So, right from the get go, it has no room
0: for Yeah. All right. Well, let's look at the the second seed that fell on the rocky soil. Uh, again, the, the next verse of Luke, Luke eight thirteen, says that those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, they receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation, they fall away. So they receive the word, and they don't only receive the word, but they do it with joy. And this seems like a, a pretty good sign. But let's go back to, to chapter 3 and remember how the, the followers in chapter 3, they did the same thing. They were, were following after Jesus. They seemed to accept and receive him and even to do so with joy, but they they weren't truly followers of Christ. They were following after him because they wanted bread or they wanted to see miracles. Um, they were not identified as uh, believers in Christ. They Even Satan and the demons, uh, they believe, right? James 2.19 says that... Um, you believe there is one God, and you do good. Even the demons believe, and they shuddered. But the demons, obviously, they didn't have any joy about this, this word that they believed in. They believed in Jesus, they knew who he was, but they weren't at all joyous about who he was. And let's see if we can check out these different verses. Who can check out uh, Ephesians 1, 13, and 14 for us? Jerry, you got that? And Joseph, why don't you grab Philippians 1, 6, and we got a few in 1 John. Who wants to grab those in 1 John? All right. We'll have Sam get the first John passages for us. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. What does that say, Jerry?
2: In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory.
0: Amen. Those are great verses. So we see in those verses that those who are in Christ, we are sealed in him. We are his eternally. Same kind of concept we see in John 10, uh, 28 through 30, that those who are in Christ, we are held firmly in his hand. We are even in the Father's hand. Nobody's taking us out of his hand, not even ourselves. So if we are in Christ, we are forever in Christ. Um, we won't be lost. We won't fall away. And we see that these, um, this second group, in this rocky soil, that they fell away. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, they receive the word with joy, but they have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation, they fall away. That doesn't seem to be consistent with the Christians mentioned in Ephesians 1 who are still in Christ, or again in John chapter 10, 28 through 30. Uh, Philippians one six. what does that say? It says,
1: <clears throat> I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day
4: of Christ Jesus.
0: All right. That God, who began the good work in you, he's the, the one who brings us to salvation, who draws us to himself, he will complete that good work. And... Again, these guys, the, the rocky soil, uh, who receive the word with joy for a moment, they believe for a while, but then again they, they fall away. And then First John 2, 3 and 4, you got that, Sam? And by this we know that
4: we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him.
0: Alright, so Christians, those who are in Christ, it says that we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Now we have to be careful here because just a few verses before we're told that nobody's perfect, right? If anybody says that he's not a liar, the truth is not in him. Or if anybody says that he has not sinned, the truth is not in him. He is a liar and he has made God a liar. So we know that it's not speaking about perfection. But uh, this is what a believer's life is going to be marked by, by obedience to Christ. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments, or the one who for a moment receives the the seed with joy and then falls away, he is a liar and the truth is not in him. I know that's taking the one passage and putting it into another, but I think that's the same concept. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments, I think that's identical with the one who for a moment receives with joy and then falls away. And then jumping over to chapter 3, will you grab verses 9 and 10 for us, Sam? Sure. 1 John 3, 9 and 10.
4: No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother.
0: All right. What version is that? That
4: is the, the extra spiritual version.
0: <laughs> the extra spiritual version. The ESV. Very good. <laughs> uh, I like how it put it, that he cannot keep sinning, right? Uh, it's not perpetual. And that's the, the intent uh, behind that word practice, that the one who is born of God the, no one who is born of God practices sin. You don't make a habit of sin. That's not a, a pattern that is identified in your life. And so the, the extra spiritual version, putting it that way to uh, the one who does not keep sinning, um, he is the one who does not keep sinning. He is born of God. So again, it's that imagery or that, that idea of practice, habit, something that... Um, marks or identifies your life. And the, the walk or the identification of a true believer um, is to, to follow after Christ, not to fall away when facing temptation. Uh, any thoughts on those first two soils? So
3: it made me think of Acts <coughs> chapter 8, um, it talks about a man named Simon, and in verse 13 it says, mm-hmm. Simon himself believed and was baptized, but yeah. then down verses 18. He
0: wanted eight- to buy the Holy Spirit.
2: <laughs> yeah,
3: <laughs> then down verses 18 he's like, okay, I'll give you money if you can give me his power. Mm-hmm. So there's the belief there. So you read really he believed and was baptized, and you may think this guy belongs to God, but a few verses later he's wanting to buy the power and... He really didn't get it. Yeah. Yeah. He, I you know, this, for this whole time I thought oh he's a, he's a believer, and then somebody pointed out. Um, but look at his actions. Yep. He he wanted the
1: power. On his him. emphasis was on the wrong level. Yeah.
0: That's right. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard for uh, for that guy for Simon in Acts eight to identify what category he falls in. I'd probably be more apt to place him in the the third category. Okay. But it it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. It, and think it's difficult to say this is you're the the first soil or the second or whatever Um, but I think to make that delineation that distinction between believer and unbeliever that's most important and I would tend to agree with you I don't think that Simon demonstrated the the fruit of a believer in his his life as he went on but yeah if you're just reading along it seems like okay well this guy he he believed he accepted he's baptized but then we're given more information we're given this this clue that might suggest, okay, well, maybe he's not in Christ. Yes, yeah, Sam?
4: I'd probably argue with that one, because even in the passage later on where he does try and, and offer money for the Holy Spirit, Peter calls him out on not just that, but also like this, the sin in his heart where he's kind of an angry, bitter man still, and he takes that correction and is like, pray for me that this doesn't take place. He just actively repents right there when Peter calls him out on it. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
0: Yeah. Good. Yeah, that one is definitely debatable. A lot of people will debate Simon. Was he in Christ or not? Was he genuine or not? Um, but the, the principle, I think, is a good one to, um, and we, again, have to be careful because we're not fruit testers, right? We don't want to go around and um, test everybody's fruit. But there is an aspect of a, a good tree will bear good fruit. And we'll look at that here in a moment. And uh, that is how we are left to to identify believers, which to some degree is important because we are, again, commissioned with the gospel. And if somebody doesn't believe the gospel, then we need to give them the gospel. We need to disciple them to the Lord so that we can then disciple them in the Lord. But if somebody is in the Lord, you're going to disciple them in a different way entirely. Um, I believe that you guys are in the Lord, and so that's why we're talking about different things rather than going over the gospel week by week. Let's move on to the third soil (laughs) before we we get stuck. These are good things to get stuck on. All right, third soil um, is the thorny soil. And the thorny soil, thorny soil, like the rocky soil, uh, this soil is ultimately found to be unfruitful. And I went too far there. Um, We see this in verse 19 of Mark 4 that I'm in 1 John 4, that's not what I want to be so verse 19 of Mark 4 says that the worries of the world, deceitfulness of riches, the desires of four other things enter in and they choke out the word and it becomes unfruitful so that's the end result of this seed, although it's for different reasons from the, the second seed, so the second seed became unfruitful because of uh, temptations and persecutions, this became unfruitful because the the world was um, desirous to uh, to this individual. Uh, are you still in first John, Sam? No,
4: but
0: oh. I'm either. Oh, I'm in first John. I'll read first John 2:15 15 through 16 because I think there's some connection here. Uh, it says, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. So, of course, we're going to be in the world, but hopefully not of the world. And so we shouldn't love the world. It says if we do love the world, that's evidence that the love of the Father is not in him. Then verse 16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And if these things are marking or identifying our life, then uh, I think that's something that is akin to this third soil, this third thorny soil that is being choked out by the deceitfulness of riches, desires for, for other things and, and worries that are in the world. Uh, we see that, uh, or we should know, that should be stated that true believers in Christ will bear fruit. And this is, this has become a, a controversial statement, even within Christianity, that true believers in Christ will bear fruit. That will cause some people to uh, to have pause and to uh, want to add asterisks on there or um, backtrack a little bit. But let's look at these verses and see um, how we can see that in these passages. I'll grab that passage in John 15. Who can grab the passage in Matthew 7? Got it. All right. And Ephesians 2 8 and 9? I got it. Right. I think Amy beat you. I'll give it yeah, to Amy. I think so. <laughs> All right, John 15. I said I was going to grab it, and I forgot to turn it. John 15, 1 through 6. Jesus saying, I am the true vine, and my Father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him. He bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Now, verse 6 kind of really lays it down. It says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. That's pretty stark delineation that Jesus is drawing here. That if you are abiding in him, you will bear fruit. If you are not abiding, then you're going to be gathered and uh, thrown into the fire and burned. Matthew 7, 17 through 23. What's that say, Logan?
2: So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so that you will know them by the fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me. Who practice
0: lawlessness. Hmm. Yeah, and again, we see that idea there of, of practicing lawlessness, of making that a, a habit of your life. That's an identifying factor of your life. And those are scary verses. Not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, is going to, to enter in. So just a, a proclamation with your mouth, that's not sufficient. He says, every good tree will bear good fruit. And a bad tree is going to, to bear bad fruit. And again, going back to the thorn, thorny soil here, what we see is that they bear... No further, they are unfruitful in uh, bearing fruit, even though it seemed like for a while the the seed had taken root. And then Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, uh, Amy.
3: For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of words that no one should boast.
0: Amen. Then 10. Oh, i 10, sorry. (laughs) Sorry. The punchline.
3: For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in
0: them. All right, good. So we definitely want to hold on to 8 and 9. Those are great verses, beautiful verses, especially for Utah. But verse 10 is also important, too, that God created us in Christ for these good works, which he prepared for us beforehand. That is the purpose of the, the believer, to walk in these good works, to bear fruit. Um, go back up to, to verse 35 and, and notice in verse 35, um, <clears throat> what is it that identifies one as a brother or a sister or a mother of Christ? In Mark three thirty-five. sorry, I didn't really specify.
2: does God's will.
0: Yeah, whoever does the will of God, he is my mother and brother and sister, Right. The one who does the will of God. That is the identifying factor of somebody who is in Christ. And so with that, let's look at this fourth soil. Again, that every believer will bear fruit. Um, I think we, we have to see that through these other passages that we looked at in John 15, Matthew 7, Ephesians 2. Um, but it's going to look different for each person. So that's why we see some that are bearing 30, some 60, some 100 fold. Um, I put that passage from 1 Corinthians 3 that some plant, some water but it is God ultimately who gives the increase Uh, he's going to work differently in each individual believer's life and back here in in this day when when Jesus was preaching in Israel over in that area uh, a fold of a tenfold crop would be considered amazing, average was 7 to 10 and so 30, 60, 100 fold that seems just miraculous, impossible and we have to recognize that it's all of God. It is an absolute work of God. He is the one who gives the increase. Um, and it's going to vary for each believer. And it's good to recognize that that is a result of what God is doing in us, not a reflection of our, our spirituality or um, of our our faithfulness, but of God who is working in us. Now, uh, hopefully you notice noticed I skipped over a couple of verses and 10 through 12. So let's go back and look at those and address this question of why it is that Jesus is speaking in parables. Um, Actually, let's do that next week. I don't want to rush through that too much. So we'll do that a little bit next week. Um, Any thoughts or questions on any of that? I know the last two weeks, I haven't given a whole lot of time to reflect. And that is a, a lot to go over. These different soils that are presented in this passage, and again, the conclusion that I've come to is that the only soil that represents a believer is this fourth soil, this good soil and that the others, even though while we see them taking root for a moment ultimately we don't see them bearing fruit and uh, growing up I was convinced, okay well this first soil that lands on the roadway or on the pathway, that's an unbeliever and the other three are are different, varying levels of believers, some are more faithful than others. Um, I now think that was a a bad way to look at this passage. I think the first three are unbelievers, and the the last soil, which, as I mentioned, really has these three different uh, differentiating factors within them, varying 30, 60, 100, that those are representative of believers. Uh, any thoughts or questions on that, even any pushback, Jerry?
2: Well, I hope it's not pushback, but <laughs> certainly besides de- the fact that we're not fruit inspectors, mm-hmm. The people who Jesus says that he will reject because they spoke in his name, because they preached in his name, they actually performed miracles in his name, we would look at that as being proved. Yep. So we have to be very careful not to get on that bad
0: way. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, it's just as scary as it is to affirm somebody's salvation when they're not a believer. to denounce somebody and say, well, you're you're not in Christ. Those are both scary things. Uh, Andy and then Sam.
1: Just like a couple observations. Um, Number one, because the fall humans are messy, hard to deal with. I know I (laughs) am. And we can deceive others around us by what we say. Right. You know, we can say, oh well, I love the Lord, but you know, feeling the burden of supporting family or whatever, and making that distinction between why you're doing it, are you doing it just for money or are you doing it to support your family? You know, you can't we can't see the human heart when God can. Mm-hmm. That's why we're used to spread the seed, but God is the one that brings the harvest, right? And I think, um, you know, at some level as Christians, we do have to distinguish, you know, if someone is engaging in some sort of simple behavior. They're unrepentant and they continue in that behavior and bring it to their attention in love and we still reject that.
0: Yeah, as a tax collector as a number. Yeah,
1: there was, I heard a story about a pastor in China who was caught by the secret police and was basically thrown in prison and if he didn't recant, he was going to remain in prison. (laughs) So, he denied the Lord, was released, and then walked about in one of the cities in China saying, I am Peter, I have denied the Lord. You know, he yep. he did deny the Lord, but yep. he felt sorrow for it. So it's, you know, we we can't see the heart. And, you know, perhaps his repentance was genuine, who
4: knows? But God knows.
0: Yep, God knows the heart. All right. So,
4: it seems to me that uh, God gives us a lot of self-evaluation tools. And uh, I was reading Ryrie's notes at the bottom of the Bible. I wasn't doing the study at a time. I'm sorry. <laughs> but he basically said Jesus was kind of using this as a a gauge for his his hearers to kind of understand what he was saying and to gauge their own hearts in this. And at any time there there's basically this call to, to judge somebody's fruit, there's about a million little asterisks placed in front of it that say basically, okay, you do this, first, make sure you're not a hypocrite, second, uh, make sure you're not being a hypocrite, third, make sure you're not being a hypocrite, and then afterwards, watch yourself that you don't become a hypocrite in this, Um, and so a lot of it feels like this is more a tool for, rather than us saying, oh, yes, I saw that this person heard the word, and they... I, I don't think this person is a Christian. Rather, it's more of a, a tool for us to go, hey, you know, this is what's going on in my heart right now. Yep. Um, you know, I've either been hard or, or hard to or I've been... Um, or my, my up in the world. sins come up or fears and worries and concerns come up and basically make it so, yeah, I've heard the word, but it's not going to have any effect in me, rather than... Okay, now I've,
0: I'm a Christian. I've taken the word. I'm going to run this now. the word. Good. That's yeah, a good self-evaluation tool, and same with First John. We spent some time in First John. First John can often be used to uh, improperly, but it's used better as a self-evaluation tool to say, okay, well, do I do I love the brothers? Am I keeping the commands of God? These are things that will identify me as a Christian and make sure that I am in proper fellowship with God. So. Sorry we didn't get through that. We will pick up on that next week and see how far we get next week. But let's go ahead and pray. God, we thank you for your word. We pray that we would all be uh, fruitful for you, that we would bear fruit um, in importance of your plan, and that we would be used of you to honor and glorify you. pray this in your name. Amen.